and welcome back to our service today. Great time last week celebrating mothers. Hands out, cheers for them. Today we're back in our series, Doubter's Guide to the Bible, and uh, reminding you that we do have this sheet available, and the purpose of the sheet is so that you have a summary of the God story, of the Israel story, of your story, so you can use this to talk to others about their story and where they fit in. So today, Doubter's Guide to the Bible, number seven, and it's all about hope, but you know, hope's a funny word. It reminds me of when I was a child. And I really, really, really wanted something so badly, I believed I'd get it. I actually anticipated that everyone would know that I would want it and go out of their way to give it to me. Christmas Day came and it wasn't there. I think I was devastated that day and something started to happen inside where hope became a very elusive thing. Anticipation became something that I guarded against. And of course with that came a sadness. More about that later because I did meet someone who helped me cope and learn again what hope is. So this is hope. Hope is commonly used as a wish. Really, really, really want it. And its strength is in the strength of your desire. But in the Bible, hope is the confident, confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is in its, his faithfulness. In the Bible, hope is the confident expectation in God and his faithfulness. I've learned this over the years, that actually... No one, no human, can always keep their promises. There's too much mitigating against us. Take even the coronavirus and all the things we promised ourselves or our children or our grandparents or we couldn't keep those promises. But there's one who always, always, always has been able and will keep his promise. God keeps his promises. And throughout the thousands of years that we've been looking at in this series, there have been the faithful. Despite famine, despite war, drought, disease, destruction, death, despite everything, they've held on to the promises of God. Hope is that something inside me that says, hang on in there. Truth and promise have spoken and nothing can diminish that. Eyes can't see it, the mind can't comprehend it, can't be touched, but it's deep inside and it can't be taken away. And it's so real that it gives life, it helps with my patience and waiting, and well, it's just hope that does not disappoint. So here we are at last. All the promises of God now fulfilled in a person. A person, not a treatise, not a covenant written in black and white, not a 
uh, list of rules and regulations. Here it is, the promises of God in a person. Person. So what did God promise? Well, we've got to go back a little bit. And I need to just reiterate that God promised that we would live the good life and enjoy the good God and do good works because our good God created all things good. And even though we messed up through our wretchedness, wretchedness, his mercy won. And it keeps on winning. And here we are, all the promises of God fulfilled in a person. Remember, the good life was to live harmoniously in community with God on this world, in this world that he gave us. Adam and Eve messed up. And so sin entered the world and we have the reality of human beings being fundamentally glorious and fundamentally wretched, deserving the judgment of God. But, but, but God in his mercy didn't abandon us. Instead, his plan to create a people to delight in him, to enjoy him and to be connected with each other continued to be woven in the human story. Promises given to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus came. Promises, Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. Through you, every nation will be blessed and you will have a land. Did you know that Abraham didn't see all those promises fulfilled? He died with just one plot of land in the promised land and it was for the grave of his wife. Abraham believed the promises. There came Moses, at least 400 years later, and the people were in slavery, God's people as slaves. And here we have Israel's salvation history enacted out as God intervenes and comes alongside to fulfill the promises. People cry out to him. Moses is raised up through miraculous deeds God leads the people out so that they could be his people. And he gave them a way to know how to be his and to live in harmony with him, with each other, and with the land he promised. He gave them a covenant. That grace act of deliverance preceded obedience. He delivered them, he chose them, he gave them a way to live. Joshua finally led them into the promised land. But it wasn't long, maybe 200 years of messiness and wars. You know, that history reads a lot like the history of the world today. The messiness, the goodness, the ups and downs, the good people, the faithful people, the evil people. But they wanted a king, and God gave them one. He gave them David. He called David a king after his own heart. And these people had a common story. They had a common history of God's deliverance. This is what bound them together, a common faith in the God of Abraham and the promises, a common story of through the wilderness, common commands to live by and David became their king despite this they were as you and me fundamentally wretched 
and fundamentally glorious, ups and downs. And so it's not long, 700 years, both kingdoms are gone because Israel failed to live in harmony with God and with each other. They chose to worship other gods and they replaced God. They could not keep the land, they failed. And so we come actually to the end of the Old Testament and it's sad. No, for everything unfulfilled. Where have been the promises? Where is this God who promised so much? The faithful hung on and they were there. Before I go into the promise fulfilled in this one man, in this one person, I want to just talk briefly about the roles of three people in the Old Testament because they become important in understanding the role of the promise in this one person. First of all, the priests. You and I know that the priests were there representing the people before their God. They were there who mediated. They were the ones who offered sacrifices for sins and pronounced people clean and forgiven. They were God's gift of mercy to the people. However, we come to a little book in the older part of the Bible called Malachi, and this is what we read. The lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord God. And the people seek instruction from his mouth, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. They failed miserable, miserably. They led people away from God, not to God. They needed a perfect priest who would not fail them. Another group of people that we hear of in the older part of the Bible are the prophets. They were the mouthpiece of God to speak the word of God to the leaders and to the people, a conduit, if you like. Through dreams and visions, the word of God came to them and they spoke. They only had two messages. They were delivered in original ways, but they basically had two messages. Going back to their salvation history, the Exodus story, the land of promise story, the covenant story, if you do not obey, God will bring his judgment. The blessings and curses are listed in the older parts of the Bible. Grace in that, deliverance, obedience required. And so they warned and they warned and warned and warned again. And the people did not take heed, nor did the leaders. They had another message, and it was repent, repent. And it was go back to your beginnings, remember the story, remember who you are, remember you were chosen by God, loved by God, called by God to be a blessing to the nations. And believe it or not, their repentance was not go to the temple, rebuild the temple, or start the sacrifices again, get your festivals going, no. The evidence of their repentance was listed by Micah in his little book, just a summary, and all the prophets spoke the same. 
But this is what we read, and I think you know this verse quite well. Micah has shown you, O man, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require? To act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus repeated these words. We read about them in the newer part of the Bible in a book called Matthew, chapter 23, verse 23. He repeated these words by saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisee, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced these without neglecting the former. And so the prophets came with warnings and a call to repentance, and the people did not heed them. The other important person was the king. The king was there to lead. The king was there to be God's representative to the people. It actually says in another older part of the Bible, a book called Deuteronomy, it says, the king was to daily read the law. It is to be with him all the days of his life so that he might learn to revere the Lord his God. He is not to consider himself better than others. David did receive a promise. David was a man after God's own heart. But you know what? David was still fundamentally glorious and fundamentally wretched. And there was a lot of messiness in his family's life and in the nation. But his heart was for God and he knew how to repent. He knew the necessity of forgiveness. And he was promised in Chronicles by God through the prophet, when your days are over, and you go to be your, with your ancestors, David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish your kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take away my love from him as I took it away from your predecessor. Listen to this. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And it's these words, these promises, the echoes there that show us that something more is coming. A perfect priest to be one that stands between us and our God. A prophet who will not only speak the words of God, who will be called the word of God. A king who will establish his kingdom on this earth. And so we leave the older part and we come to the newer. Listen to this. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of 
David. A saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Here it is. All the promises of God. The good news, the wonder, the amazement in a baby. Wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Is that all God could do? Is that it? Here's our problem. Centered around the Christmas story is so much of the supernatural. So many miracles. Now we who are familiar with the story just accept it. Because it's so much part of who we are. But in the telling of the promises of God, can you imagine the shock, the wonder, the disbelief, all of the promises of God in a baby? Good news. The Christmas story, virgin birth, angels, mangers, stars, dreams, Magi from the east, God in the flesh dwelling among us. Incredulous, unbelievable, unscientific. Well, how did the people take it then? And how do we take it now? All of the promises of God fulfilled in one person, Jesus. Here he is, the way, the truth, the life, to the good life. Jesus, Son of God, our Saviour and Lord. Jesus, sent by God, came and lived among us and lived the good life in harmony with the Father, with his community and with this world. Did people like this? No, they didn't. They could not live in harmony with him. And you know the end of the story, or part of the end of the story, they killed him. Who can live with truth? Who can live with righteousness? Listen to what John wrote in the newer part of the Bible. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who receive him, to them he gave the authority, the right, the power to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. His own received him not, but those who come, come into his family and are called children of God. The wonder of it all. However, even to this day, we have trouble accepting the God answer to the promises of 
that he gave Abraham, the promises that are right throughout the Old Testament. And again, we look at John to find out why this is so. Why on earth would anyone be like this? For God so loved the world. You know that wonderful verse. God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Listen to it. This is the verdict according to the word of God. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what we have done has been done in the sight of God. It's that dark thread again, that fundamentally wretchedness of humanity that goes so far down that it calls light darkness and darkness light that even says and invites us into the darkness the truth is though that the mercy thread is there always there and this fundamentally glorious part of our humanity responds to this mercy thread the dark thread warped our goodness, destroyed us, causing a wretchedness. But whoever comes to the truth will know the light and experience the mercy and the grace. There's a few things I want to say about my God, about this miraculous. We looked at the believers, his own people, and those that could not accept. We looked at the darkness and realize that they could not accept. But when I look at a God, when I look at God, I want a God to be God. I want my God to be God, better than, greater than, more than. I don't want a God who's fundamentally glorious and fundamentally wretchedness. I want the wretchedness out of him. I want it to be all light, all truth. I want him to be bigger than, better than. And these are some things that I want about my God. These are some things I need about my God. And these are the dangers that happen when we create gods in our image and deny or delete the supernatural, the God of miracles, the God who fulfilled his promises in Jesus. I need a God who's greater than me, better than me, more amazing than any human. I need a God who's supernatural. 
I need a God who's not in my image. I need a God who can deliver me, help me, change me. I need a God close by. The word became flesh. I need a God that I can't control because I'm not God. I don't see all. I don't know all. I know so little. I need a God who's all-seeing, all-knowing, totally powerful. And it's possibly a lot more. But why have anything less than the God who's given to us and introduced to us through the word and through Jesus, the baby at Christmas? I have a sneaking suspicion that we all look for superheroes. A superman, a superwoman, someone to fight for justice and righteousness, to come along and bring deliverance just at the right moment, to slay the wicked and to pursue truth. Just have a look at our movies, our heroes. And it's true, I want a supernatural person in my life named Jesus I want the best the purest the noblest the one who doesn't want to admire to be admired at a distance the one who lives within one who enters my world and helps me with the ordinary the routine and yet who does the extraordinary and this supernatural God he doesn't destroy the sinner he destroys the evil forces, but he loves the people who are wretched and he calls them and he offers mercy and truth. He's forgiving. He's kind. He's everything that I am not by myself. This is my God, supernatural, doer of the impossible, miracle worker, way maker, truth, God in the flesh, the fulfillment of every promise made by God. Paul wrote this many years ago, for all of our God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, who is the Messiah, Jesus, our amen, which means yes ascends to, the, to God for his glory. Here we have it, a good God who does good and gives me a good life through Jesus. This causes us to love truth, welcome the light, grace and mercy in our lives. Yeah, darkness still lingers and manipulates the light, but it can never overcome the light. Grace, mercy, life, Light and truth will always win, every time. And the truth enables me to live that good life in relationship, in harmony with my God, the Creator, whose name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's in whom all the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. And this God lives within, and I can live in harmony with him, and I can expect to live in harmony with my community and in this world that God has given me. And my hope is in Jesus. And he says there's still more to come. There's more to come. Wait for it. It is an expectation, an anticipation that is real.
I'm going to pray for you. The truth is Jesus. The promises are a person. I remember the very moment of illumination, revelation, when I realized that the word of God was to lead me to truth, that the church services were to lead me to truth. They were celebrations so that I could get to know the truth. It wasn't knowledge. It wasn't a sense of study and knowing. It was being introduced to Jesus and seeing Jesus the way, the truth, the life. And he waits constantly to be introduced to you, to me, and to the others through me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that God's supernatural answer to our world's problems came from the God who created all, who knows all, who knows the end from the beginning, and who entered our world as a baby, God in the flesh, dwelling among us, introducing us to our Father so that we could be called children of God. And my prayer, Lord, is for each of us that we would find our way home to our true Father by giving ourselves again and anew to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.